When I tell people I'm a missionary, I get all kinds of questions. People ask, what kind of missionary are you? Or they want to know exactly what it is a missionary does. Or a lot of times you'll hear people say, a missionary, here? You mean that's a thing? Well, there's 281 million lost people in the U.S. and Canada. So, yeah, it's a thing. But there's one question no one ever asked me, and I wish they would. No one ever asked where is the finish line? That's the question I want to hear. What does mission accomplish look like? You can watch videos about North American missionaries like me. You can read stories about us. You can pray for us. But don't get so caught up in the methods and minutiae of what we do that you miss the main thing. Everything you see and hear and read about us is really just a means to an end. We start churches to make Jesus known. We meet needs to make Jesus known. 
We move to unfamiliar places, we meet unreached people, and we attempt unrealistic things just to make Jesus known. There is nothing more important than that. Nada. Nothing at all. Jesus said, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And so that's what our finish line looks like. It looks like obedience, same as your finish line. God speak, you give, we go. Everything starts with your gift, so the any I'm strong is the offering. Those gifts enable us to go places where the gospel has never been. This is where we cross our finish line. This is where, together, we make Jesus known. Would you stand and sing with us? Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. On earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. On earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. Give us this day a daily bread. Forgive us, forgive us. We forgive the ones who sin against us. Forgive them. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let your kingdom come. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. Earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. Earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us, forgive us. We forgive the ones who sin against us. Forgive them. Lead us not into temptation.
may be seated. Well, hallelujah, amen, good morning, and welcome, all wrapped up into one. It is good to see you, it's good to worship together, and I hope you enjoyed the, the video we watched a little bit earlier, and just to remind you that this Sunday begins the week of prayer for the Annie Armstrong Easter offering for North American missions. Just some quick numbers. There's 371 people in North America. There are over 350 languages spoken in among those 371 million and 281 million of those 371 million are still without the hope of the gospel. And so the North American Mission Board strives to make Jesus known in North America, and with the advent of recent years, we have been able to reach the nations by just visiting places that are not very far from our home. And while we would once have to travel across the sea or through the air to reach um, different peoples, now God has put them right in our own neighborhoods. And so we are excited to participate in the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. And um, one of the ways we participate is through our offering that we collect each year around the time of Easter. And our church goal is $4,000. So be praying about that. There is an envelope where you can give your gift. There is also a prayer guide that is in the bulletin. If you didn't get one, the little table that's right outside this door to your right, there should be plenty available. And it just gives you um, a highlight, some highlights about missionaries during the week and then also some things to pray for um, as we trust God to do his work in making Jesus known um, here where we are in North America and ultimately through um, his word. If you're visiting, it is such a pleasure to have you joining us this morning. Um, it's, um, it's always good to see familiar faces, but it's also very encouraging to see new faces. And so we are, we are glad that you've taken time this morning to be with us. Um, before our gentlemen come and we um, take up the offering, I'd like us to read together from John chapter 14. We'll read um, the first 14 verses, and you can follow along in your copy of Scripture on your phone, or you can just look at the screen. The words will be there um, as we read along together. The words of Jesus, John chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that? I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has sent me me has seen whoever has seen me has seen the father how can you say show us the father do you not believe that i am in the father and the father is in me 
The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account on the wor- of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Gentlemen, will you come? Join with me in prayer, please. Father God in heaven, we come before you today to worship you, give you praise and thanks for all that you have done for us. Dear Lord, we thank you for your son Jesus and the price he paid on the cross for our sins. Now, dear Lord, we want to give back a portion of what you have given us And we just thank you again for your son, Jesus, and pray in his blessed name. Amen. Burden and share. 
none but thee, dear Lord, none but thee. Just a closer walk with thee. Granted, Jesus is my plea. Daily walking close to thee. Let it be, dear Lord, let it be. When my feeble life is over, time will be no more. Guide me gently, safely home to the kingdom shore.
Thank you. You may be seated. If you have a, a Bible there handy, or if you want to use your phone, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. We'll start reading in verse number 19 here in a few moments. We continue on as we look through the book of Hebrews. And this morning, I want to speak for a little bit about just the idea of the freedom that we have in Christ to come near to God. somebody said you were on the outside looking in, um, it would be pretty easy to figure out that that's not a very desirable place to be. I mean, you might imagine yourself as a boy um, looking through the fence into a ball game that you wish you were at or had a ticket to get into. Or maybe you drive by an amusement park and you're in the vehicle with your, your parents and you know that the the possibility of you going to that amusement park is probably slightly less likely than being struck by lightning. Or you may just imagine some other situation where you found yourself in that position on the outside looking it in. And I say that because that's exactly how you could describe many different types of people. You know, around the world right now, there's Millions upon millions that are diligently following any number of the world's religions. But all the while they believe that the God that they are seeking after is distant and unknowable. Or maybe you transport yourself, you know, into a small church fellowship like this and you have a person that's been faithfully attending, you know, attending a Christian church for any number of years, but they've never really experienced the the joy of God's presence. Or maybe it's the person that, that you know, or maybe you sit next to, or maybe it's even you, that you profess to have faith in Christ, but you never really took the time to associate yourself with other believers. Or maybe outside the walls, you're someone who would describe their religion as nothing in particular. Those that they now start calling the religious nuns. Now they might believe in God. They might say that there is some sort of higher power, but they rarely if ever attend any religious service or engage in any type of religious activity. But what if I told you that God never intends for anyone to be in any one of those positions? He wants to be known. He sent Jesus to earth to make Himself known. And He invites everyone who is willing to trust Jesus in faith and to come into His presence. That He encourages us to be in connection with other believers, to not try to go it alone. And He wants those people that would say they're the nuns to to know His love 
as well as their value and their purpose. And all of this is possible because of Jesus. And in fact, as we look at these verses right in the middle of chapter 10, I want us to think about this, that because of Jesus, every believer can confidently enter God's presence and purposefully, purposely embrace the journey of faith. And I want us to read these verses. We'll take time to pray, and then I'll set our context, and we'll see what we can draw from it. But there in verse 19, Hebrews chapter 10, the writer says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another in all the more as you see the day drawing near. Lord, we're here this morning. We're thankful for music that lifts up your name. And we have this opportunity now to listen to your word. Lord, we ask that you would speak beyond human words through your spirit to our hearts. Lord, help us to see the truth that we need to hold on to. Help us to see the things in our lives that we need to let go of. And help us to see that being in your presence, having fellowship with you, is possible because you provided the means through your son Jesus. Help us to see the need that we have to be in connection with other believers and the great benefit there is. Lord, we ask for this help. We trust you'll provide it. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in brief, the first 18 verses of chapter 10 is continuing on this idea that everything that was provided in the Old Covenant was just a temporary provision that pointed forward to what Jesus would do. That Jesus came to do what the Old Testament law could never do. He came to cleanse believers from sin. That the offering he provided on the cross was perfect. It was offered one time for all sin. And the priesthood that he now has is better than any that ever existed. And so these verses tell us that because Jesus died on the cross, he rose from the grave, and he ascended into heaven, believers have freedom to come near to God. And so I want us to look at how that freedom is established, what that freedom means, the power that we have through what the writer calls this profession of hope, and the need that we all have for Christian community. So first, let's think about this. How is this freedom established? There's four points in the bulletin to help you walk through this. And the first thing that we need to see is that the way is open through Jesus. It's really 19, 20, and 21, the first three verses there. If we look around in that landscape that we call our world, people are traveling all different paths and trying all any number, any, different, any number of different things to try and reach God. Some people are just in that do better, try harder group. 
Others are in the sacrifice more and suffer a little. Some are out here following this idea or this theory or trying that, and each one winds up being a dead end or a closed door. Because the honest truth is, the only way to God, it starts and it ends with Jesus, and there's no need to try anything else. It's what the author gets at in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, looking back on really what he's been talking about since the end of chapter 7 all the way through the first part of chapter 10, brothers, speaking not just to men but to women also, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. What's he getting at? He's saying that in Jesus, believers can have complete freedom to enter into God's presence. That God is not far away and distant, but God came near. That we don't have to worship God through the means of a priest, but you and I, through Jesus, can come directly into God's presence. We have access to God by the blood of Jesus who rescued us from sin. His blood washed us clean and made peace with God. And he opened the way for men and women to come to God themselves. Which means we don't need to go hand our prayer list to some priest and say, hey, will you pray these things for me? You know, we don't need to walk into some temple and, and burn some incense and give some money and hand something to somebody to, to offer up you know, prayers, hopefully, for something. No, we have the opportunity where we're at in Jesus, whether you're in your car, whether you're in your bedroom, your living room, or anywhere you're at, to enter in directly into God's presence. And the passage describes it as this new and living way. New in the sense that it was something that was now available that previously was not available. The way was blocked. Access was limited. And now the way has been opened in Jesus. And it's a living way because Jesus himself is alive. He's resurrected. Praise the Lord. And he is the one that gives life. So Jesus is the new and living way. He's the only way to God. And there's no other way. And he contrasts this all through chapter 7, 8, 9, here and even verse 10, to the old way, the old covenant, where that way into God's presence was covered by a curtain. If you remember the, the layout, there was the holy place where they, they burned the incense, where they, where they ritually cleansed. There was a curtain between, and then in, on the other side of the curtain, inside was the holy of holies, the most holy place. There was the Ark of the Covenant where God's presence lived. And there, only one time a year, covered with blood, the high priest was enter, would enter in to offer sacrifices for the sin. And so that way was blocked. It was covered by this curtain. And when Jesus died on the cross, we read in the Gospels that that curtain, which was now in the temple, not the tabernacle, was torn, rent from top to bottom, and it signified that Jesus had opened the way to God. That it, in the midst of earthquakes and, and the dead coming to life, this temple, this temple curtain is torn. And the writer says that through the curtain, that is through his flesh, the way to God was opened. Another way you could say that is that Christians, believers, can enter into God's presence through, not through a curtain, but through 
the death of Jesus on the cross. See, in the old way, that old covenant, the high priest had a job to enter that holy place, offer those sacrifices, to represent the men and women of the nation of Israel before God. But now the writer says we have a great priest, a great high priest who is Jesus, who is over the house of God. Now we understand the high priest, and we understand that the great high priest would be Jesus, the greatest of all, but when you get to this phrase, house of God, you know, depending on where your mind thinks, it has some things, you know, that might be attached to it that may not absolutely be correct. You know, some people say, well, that could be heaven, but that doesn't really fit the context. It could be, you know, the temple, but again, that doesn't really fit the context. But most likely, if you go back to chapter 3, where he talks about Jesus being faithful over the house of God, it's most likely a metaphor that signifies the family of God or people that are followers of Jesus. So we have one great high priest, his name is Jesus, and anyone, anywhere that worships in his name has a great high priest over them that gets us into God's presence. So what did Jesus do after he died on the cross? He entered into heaven, into God's presence, and he remained there continually, praying for us, waiting for the day when God sends him back to make all things new. And so Jesus is the new and living way to God, and through him, through Jesus, as one writer said, we have confidence, the confidence of free and open access to God. And through Jesus, we have an open door policy to the very throne room of heaven. And this way that Jesus established, the second thing we need to see is the way leads to intimacy with God. Now, I mentioned earlier that God wants to be known. He wants us to know Him. He wants to seek Him. He invites us to come into His presence. And He made a way for us to come into His presence through Jesus. I meant to put a picture of it, but I forgot. But a few weeks ago, we talked about you know, that restricted access sign that says authorized personnel only. And that when Jesus gave his life on the cross, he did away with the restricted access time, access sign. He tore the veil and removed the, the barrier. So we have access to take God up on his invitation to draw near, to enter into his very presence. It's open to all believers. In fact, if you look through Hebrews, you find this phrase, draw near seven times. In chapter 4, the first time, it says that we're supposed to draw near to the throne of grace to find what? Mercy and grace in our time of need. He's loving and compassionate. Chapter 7, verse 25 says, he's able to save those forever who draw near. That there's no salvation in anyone or anything other than Jesus, but those who come to him find forever salvation for eternity. And then here in chapter 10, verse 1, which we didn't read, God makes perfect those who draw near. Imperfect sinners like you and I are perfected in Christ. His righteousness is credited to ours and He is in the process of making us holy. 
So the privilege of access was purchased by Christ's blood, and because of that, we're welcome to enter into God's presence. It's better than a lifetime membership or season tickets. We have complete and total access to God. But then the writer wants us to know that our attitude matters when we enter into God's presence. And he describes it using the phrase true heart. It speaks of being genuine and honest before God. And there's no sense in trying to put on an act if you can't impress him. There's no need to try to cover things up because he sees everything. But rather we should approach God in simplicity with authenticity. Much like a child would approach their their parent or or grandparent. You know, you just get what they are. You know, unless they're a schmoozer, which some of them figure out how to do, or they're trying to con you, you know, they they might try to butter you up for something. Most of the time, you just get what they are. They come to you in honesty, with need, because they come to you. They come to you with that because they know you're the one that can meet their needs. So we don't have to pretend or try to impress God. We only come to Him and receive what He has to offer. So our, our heart attitude matters, but then he says, full assurance of faith. One writer said it's a, having a clear-headed confidence and a stability. That's based on what Jesus has done for us on His behalf. I thought about the, the Old Testament story of Esther, which is a book written after. It's great. It's wonderful reading. If you want to just read an exciting story, you can read the book of Esther. There's also some great principles, but in the one of the great climaxes of the story, you know, Esther is decided after, you know, God speaking to her and Mordecai's encouragement, you know, that is the time for her to go in and speak on behalf of her people before the king. And you're left, as you're reading the story, if you're familiar with, that, with this, kind of wondering if it's your first time, you know, is she going to come out alive? Because if the king, you know, wants her there, he'll lower the scepter and she lives. But if the king doesn't, well, it's the end for, for Esther. And um, you find out that it wasn't the end because the story keeps going after that. But if you think about it in our day, you know, because of Jesus, if we come to approach God, the the throne room of heaven, you know, because of what Jesus has done for us, God has already extended his scepter toward us. So they don't want to, we don't approach with the fear of destruction or the fear of, you know, judgment. We approach with the, the humble, you know, fear and respect for the Lord, and we are welcome into his presence, and we are sure that when we get there, because of Jesus, we have his favor. So just with a pure Heart, with you know no pretense and with confidence that we have access through Jesus. But the verse tells us also not only how we should act, but it tells us you know why we can have confidence in approaching God. What did God do? And David Allen just says it this way: God's done His part, so we can be enabled to do ours. What did God do? Look at verse twenty-two, with our hearts sprinkled clean. From an evil conscience, and our bodies washed in pure water. So we're cleansed. We're purified. 
conscience that we could never seem to wipe away the guilt and shame from by whatever we've tried washed away in the blood of the Lamb and the sin that piled up higher and higher that we thought would always be held against us was washed away in the waves of God's love through Jesus. And so this is what God did for you so that you could come near Him. And the writer just uses these Old Testament pictures to, to show us that it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses hearts and consciences of sin. So that means no matter who you are, no matter where you've been or what you've done, God loves you and He wants you. He gave His Son to die. Jesus gave His life for you so that you who were once far away from God could be near to God. And then God wants you. He never gets annoyed. He says, hey, don't bother me now. I'm kind of busy. Come back later. I'm watching the news right now. Come back. No, right now, He is waiting for us. He wants us to be near to Him. But the honest truth is, we're probably as near to God as we want to be right now. It's just the honest part. And so the, the question kind of thinks is, you know, what is it right now that's keeping you, you know, from moving closer toward God? Because He's waiting for us. He just asks us to humble ourselves and repent, ask forgiveness, and then come near. And so from the idea of access, which is so wonderful to think about, he moves on to this idea of hope, the confession of hope, and he reminds us that it's hope that steadies us during the journey of faith. You know, when you're the ground around you is unstable or unlevel. When your legs may be a little bit weak, you feel a little wobbly. Or maybe you're in a boat and the waves are kind of tossing the boat around. Many times you often look for something that is solid to hold on to. Something that will steady you. And our journey of faith in trusting Jesus is, is not that different. And it's crazy around. The world in we live in is a crazy world. And there's crazy stuff happening, and it seems to get a little more crazier as people get more creative. So we have that to deal with. We have the problem of our own weakness. You know, as Rich Mullins, I'm saying off long ago, you know, we're not as strong as we think we are. There's unexpected circumstances. Things just pop up that that we couldn't have imagined, and we, we need something or someone to hold on to. And the writer tells us that we can hold fast the confession of our hope. Now, the word means to keep a tight grip on something, to retain something and not relinquish it. You could say it means to hold on and not give up. I was reading that, and it reminded me of a, of a story um, back when my grandmother was alive. Her and her cousin would travel to Fort Worth for doctor's appointments, and they loved to go to the cafeteria after they had their doctor's appointment. And one afternoon, they were over there um, somewhere near the hospitals, and they went to a cafeteria, and they stepped out of the vehicle, and this young man 
presented himself to my grandmother and tried to steal her purse. You know, this purse snatcher, this thief. And, um, and so he grabs the purse and is yanking on the purse, strength, the strap. She's holding on to the purse and professes to the young man, you don't need my purse. And so there's this, you know, fight going on back and forth over the purse. And um, the only thing that might have um, saved the young man from a flogging um, was my grandmother lost her balance on the curb stop and she stumbled. And when she stumbled, she still had the purse in her hand and the strap broke on the purse and the guy took off and ran. And, yeah, and honestly, she didn't need, he didn't need her purse. And if you had ever known my grandmother, um, you would understand how, how true that phrase was. But the idea is that we should keep a tight grip on what really is the simple, basic truths of faith. We can expect with excitement, God will do everything that He promises to do. That in Jesus we really are new creations, that we have new life, and that Jesus has a grip on us that will never, ever let go. So when doubt comes, when fear comes, when failure seems to, to creep in and remind you of who you were, there's something that's worth holding on to. And that's your faith, that profession of hope. And he tells us that we should do that without wavering or unswervingly, as I think the King James has it. Now, if you've lived in Burleson very long, you would probably um, understand that if they did like a list of the top ten um, best or worst driving categories for Burleson, you could probably guess which one we would fall under, um, probably ten worst. Um, but have you ever been driving around and you see somebody just swerving all over the road, you know, and, and you're thinking, are they drunk? Or you get up beside them and you're like, oh my gosh, they're putting on makeup. I actually saw a guy reading a newspaper on I-35 one day, opened up across the steering wheel. Now you should probably do it on your phone. Or maybe you find out that that, you know, swerver is just a texture. And, and hopefully you didn't see me I'm swerving. But, you know, you think this guy's either, he's dangerous, obviously. He's obviously distracted. And much like that, sometimes, you know, our faith just kind of swerves all over the place. You know, there's doubt, there's distractions, sometimes worries, and we, we question, you know, our faith. We wonder if what we thought was true is really true. And the writer tells us, hold on to God's promises. Hold on to the truth of His Word and do it without doubting and without hesitating. To the writer, readers back then, these first century Christians, there was this temptation when times got hard for them to want to lean back on the old ways. What they knew in the past when they were still under the law, under Judaism. For you and I today, it just is this reminder that we feel ourselves swerving in our faith. We can get back on course. We can put our eyes on Jesus. And if we begin to waver, we can remember that the one who promised is faithful. That's what he tells us there in the verse. 
earlier we talked about this anchor of hope we have, that, that Jesus, because of what he did, is the anchor of hope. And so when you feel like everything is going crazy, when you feel like you're swerving, you can hold on to your hope because Jesus is holding on to you. And he won't ever let you hold him. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. You can hold fast. Why? Because God's faithful. As Paul reminded Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, even when we're faithless, he remains faithful. Now verse 24 and 25 transition and point to something he's going to pick up when he gets more for the end and application, just the vitalness or the importance of Christian community. How important it is to be a part of the family of God or the body of Christ. And you notice in these verses that he uses the phrase, not neglecting to meet together. Women and men join together by the common bond of faith in the person of Jesus. There's a need for us to be together. And you may have noticed, and I didn't highlight till now, the fact that each one of these phrases is let us, let us, let us. It's a, it's a group project. It's for everybody. That everyone who trusts in Jesus should be living out their faith in front of the world that's watching alongside brothers and sisters in Christ. And the last thing you see there is that this journey of faith includes other believers. There's a hope to hold on to, but it includes other believers. We need to remind ourselves often that if you are following after Jesus, you are not alone. Of course, God is with you, but there's also other believers that God never meant for us to, to live you know, this solitary life apart from other Christians. He desires for us to be in fellowship with Christ and with His people, to enjoy community, you know, to enjoy that wonderful experience of fellowship and laughter, to enjoy cooperation and working together to achieve tasks and to see what God has for us. And so the, the writer is out there reminding these struggling Christians that are worried about whether they should stick to Jesus or they should try to go back to Judaism, He's telling them, don't run away, don't be isolated from other Christians, but press in. Don't think you can ever do it on your own because you need other believers around you. Verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Consider means to think carefully about, to think about something, to concentrate on it, to to carefully consider it, to, to give it the utmost attention and with deep concern. And he tells us that we should consider how to stir up one another. Now that word stir up means exactly what you think it means. It means to stir up. And it can be good or it can be bad. A lot of people are really good at stirring up trouble. That's what we think about most times. But here he's telling us to stir up one another toward Good love, good things, love and good works. The New Living puts it this way, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. 
So he mentions love and he mentions good works. And we'll see that the two always go together. This idea that love should be real, unbiased, self-giving, and spirit-filled love. It's the true love that God puts in our hearts by His Spirit. It's love from the heart. The one that 1 Corinthians 13 says, you know, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. It's a love that comes from God that we share in because of what God has done for us through Jesus. But it's a love that also always expresses itself. And here, the aim of that is through good works. You know, you can read any number of books or articles about love. You can talk a lot about love. You can think even more about love. But you can do all of those things, but not ever really love. Why? Because love always has an object. And love always requires Charles Spurgeon from another century said it this way, I would not give much for your religion unless it can be seen. Lamps do not talk, but they do shine. The things that you do, whether you think they're giant things or very small things, point to the Savior that you claim and are a witness to the people that you meet. The Bible tells us that it's a, it's a sign that we are disciples of Jesus, that we follow after Jesus. also tells us that it proves the, the genuineness of our faith, faith expressing itself through love. But also we see that it, it brings glory to God. So we love one another, and we love one another enough to do something about it. And then finally, in the last part, in verse 25, the author gives us two challenges, something to do and something not to do. Don't neglect meeting together. This is the habit of some, implying that there are some people that have begun to to drift away from regularly attending or being a part of fellowship with God's people. We probably don't know really what he's talking about there, do we? No, you see that. Um, You may have friends, or maybe it was even you, for example, you know, that it was You know, they were always around God's people. And then they were infrequently around God's people. And then before long, you don't ever see them around God's people. But what we're talking about here is much more than just attending church. Now, church is a great place to be. Um, I love it. Um, Obviously, you do too because you're here. But just showing up is not at all what this is talking about. It's not attendance. It's connection, involvement. And so being in church is an important part of that, but just as valuable in seasons is just two people gathering together in Christian fellowship, maybe three or even ten or more getting together to fellowship. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German pastor who stood strong with the true believing church in the face of the evils of Nazi Germany, wrote these words, the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. Physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. 
That means when people get together, fun things can happen. When crowds get together at a ball game, exciting things can happen. There is something different and unique and powerful when God's people get together, whether it's two people, five people, ten people, or a thousand people. So the question I wrote there is, are we hanging out with, you know, Jesus people? Are you spending time with Jesus people? And don't kid yourself and think that just because you come and sit in church that you're hanging out with Jesus people. You're just getting a small taste of what God wants to do. Don't think that just because you maybe, you know, do one thing a week. No, it's an attitude. It's a, it's a wanting to be around God's people for, for fellowship, to spend time in God's Word, to pray together, to encourage one another. And so he says, don't give that up. Hold on to it because it's precious, and if you're not careful, the slope is very slippery. But he also says something we should do, and that's encourage one another. You know, encouragement is necessary. There's no one that I know that does not need Encouragement, it can remind you that you're not alone in the battle, that people do care, and it can help to stir up faith in others. Now, what does it include? It includes cheering people on. You know, if somebody's starting in a new endeavor, they've got a new job, it's just encouraging them along the way. It's challenging people when necessary, correcting when there's error, comforting when there's sorrow or loss. It's caring, it's loving, it's sharing giving. I just don't ever think we could overdo encouraging one another. But if we're not careful, we can take someone for granted or take something for granted and underdo it. So he says to to keep on encouraging. And he says keep doing it more as the return of Christ gets nearer and nearer. He calls it the day, thinking about the day of the Lord when Jesus is going to return. And if you look at anything in the news, anything that's going on, you have to say that you know things are becoming darker and darker and that the return of Jesus is more and more um, near. But also at the same time, that's an, an environment where discouragement can thrive. As things get darker and darker, so we need to encourage and be fighting that with encouragement. So let me just ask you this. Who can you encourage you know, today? Maybe, maybe you write it down. Maybe you put it on your phone. Just think of somebody right now. This is somebody I'm going to encourage. And before the sun sets today, and speaking of that, time changes next week, so we get to spring forward an hour. Before the sun goes down, send that person a text. Write that person a note. Make a phone call or just tell them face and face. Encourage them in some way. And then after you feel good about that, because you will, um, see if you couldn't maybe make that a regular habit and that we would become um, encouragers of one another and see what God might do in building our faith together. So to close, in, in Jesus, it's freedom to come near to God, to have a relationship, to find forgiveness, peace, and life, to experience fellowship with God through Jesus and to be a part of a family community of faith, all because of Jesus, who through him every believer can confidently enter God's presence and purposefully embrace the journey of faith. I mean, think about the possibilities. I mentioned some things in the beginning, and just bring them back now. Think about people from all the nations discovering that God is knowable and is near through Jesus, and they come to realize that 
he's not distant. He's not far away. But he loves us. Think about long-time church attenders that that experience the joy of God's presence through Jesus again. Or maybe even for the first time. Or maybe that lonely, solitary, distant believer begins to enjoy community and encouragement with other believers. And it all started with a text message. It all started with a note or a phone call. Or those men and women who are all around us who claim to be nothing in particular are transformed and become sons and daughters of God. So let me just, there's five things and they're from what I've talked about. That Maybe God's calling you to this right now. Maybe it's draw near. Maybe that's it. God, and this is for all of us all the time. We start there. That's the source of life is drawing near. Maybe it's hold fast. Maybe discouragement is, is creeping in and you just need to hold fast to what you got. Maybe it's the exercise of your faith through practicing loving good deeds. Or maybe it's just reaching out and becoming an encourager. Encouraging someone and being encouraged because you have. It's all because of Jesus who opened the way so that you and I could be with God. Fellowship with Him and fellowship with one another. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we come to the end of time this morning and we're thankful that it's you by your spirit that, that fills in the, the blanks and details that we have. It's ultimately your voice that we need to hear and you speak through your word and by your spirit and you're asking we want to pause in these moments for you to speak to our hearts. So Lord, help us. Maybe along one of these areas, maybe it's drawing near to you. Maybe for the very first time you just say, Jesus, I want to put my hope and my trust in you. I want to give my life to you. And I'm thankful that you made a way. Maybe it's just holding on to hope and just holding on to that truth that we come to know. Maybe it's about just moving out and showing acts of love toward others, or maybe it's being encouraging. God, maybe it's the time that you've just spoken clearly to folks and just said, hey, this is where I want you to be. It's where you need to be. I want you to be a part, be plugged in and serve. Lord, help us to know what your will is and then help us to find our courage and strength to do it in your name. We love, we love you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. I'm going to play some music quietly. It's your opportunity to um, just talk to the Lord about what we've, we've listened to these last several minutes and to respond. Maybe it's a burden you want to lift up to Him. Maybe it's praise that you want to offer Him. Maybe there's a new commitment you need to make. Um, you can do that right now. Maybe it's trust in Jesus for the very first time, or maybe it's saying, hey, be a part of this church. Music's going to play quietly. I'll be at the front if you need someone to talk to or pray with. And as always, just remember, if you need someone to pray, you can probably just grab a brother or sister next to you and say, hey, will you pray with me? And as always, the front's open if you need to come down. So let's listen to God as we trust in Him to
Amen. Well, um, exciting this morning. Um, I want to just let you know, and Doug and Tanya, y'all can come up. Doug and Tanya Davis are coming this morning to say they want to unite with our, our church. Um, they're coming and promise of a letter from First Baptist Church of Burleson. And um, I, think, I think the quote was, they, they found home. And so we are super excited. Um, it's, you may not have recognized them as a visitor because they just kind of, like I told them, they just kind of jumped in. And um, so um, we are super excited about that. Um, I am. And um, I just wanted to, to say that and just ask, you know, as a church, you know, family, what's your, um, you know, if you're, you just join in the celebration of receiving them to be part of our family, just say praise the Lord. Praise yeah. And so we look forward to, you can clap. We clap for everything else. We better, we better clap for that. Um, so um, they'll be around, and so you'll, I know you'll want to, um, to take opportunity just to welcome them and just let them know how excited you are. Um, and so um, you guys can have a seat right now. I don't need to stay up here any longer. Unless you want to, then you're welcome to. Um, just going to give you an idea what the flow is. So um, we're going to sing in song in just a second, and we'll dismiss. Um, probably take just about three to five minutes, um, to, um, and then we have a special time this morning. We have a call business meeting um, to, to select um, deacons. Um, we have two gentlemen. I'm with Keith Barton and, and Brian Midkiff. And so um, please um, bear patiently. Um, it shouldn't take very long, but um, we do need to, to sing. We do need to give a chance for folks to, to head out if they're not playing today, and then we'll, we'll convene as, um, as soon as we are, are able. So I want to thank you for worshiping um, this morning. It's been a good day to be in the Lord's house, whether you're visiting or you're regular folk, I want to invite you to stand up with us. Um, they're going to sing, and then after we're finished singing, um, you're, you're welcome to go. Lord bless you. 